of this series. If you've missed some, make sure you go back and dig it out. I, I really believe that, that uh, oh, hey, everybody say hello to Channa. She is so excited <laughs> to be tag teaming with me today. Um, but, but I am convinced if we can grab the truth of, uh, of, of what Jesus taught about our enemy, um, that, that it will radically change. We're already seeing some proof of the changes happening uh, in people's lives and in their marriages and their families uh, as they really understand that we are in a spiritual war, right? Uh, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, we win, but we have to engage to win, <laughs> all right? We do. We have to be aware, um, and that is just so... We have, we have uh, been digging out, uh, some uncovering some lies of the enemy because he desires to kill, steal, and what? Destroy. That's right. We've said this all through this series. Satan whispers what? Lies. That back up what we, what we think we need, what our flesh wants, which has become the norm in the neighborhood or the norm in the world around us. Amen? Uh, he whispers lies. He whispers lies. I've said this a couple of weeks. I'm going to say it one more time. Satan constantly whispers lies to me that, that back up what I, oh wait, just a minute, that's not it, should be the next one, there it is. The enemy is speaking lies that land in the part of our brain that has ideas or the part of our brain that imagines. And in that part of our brain, we take what is, everybody say, not real, what is a lie? And we create what we imagine to be true. And then most of the time, we go living out that untruth as truth. And how many of you know that creates a mess? I mean, that's where he kills, steals, and destroys. We are, we are looking at the fact that, that there are three enemies of our soul. It is the devil. Everybody say the devil. Uh, it is the flesh. Oh, come on. The flesh. Right? Um, and it is the world. Everybody say the world. Or the neighborhood that we live in. Uh, all right, um, and here's what we learned a couple weeks ago, um, and, and this is just a synopsis of a very deep that you need to go dig into, uh, go back and listen to, but the devil's lies are exposed many times through silence and solitude, and it is defeated through what? Oh, come on. Everybody say it. Through what? Scriptures and prayer. And I wanted to add, but I thought it was a little redundant. And through silence and solitude. It's important. It really, really is that we can defeat the enemy like Jesus did. Amen? That's right. We can defeat him just like Jesus did. And then Zeke, last week, did an amazing job laying out the enemy of the flesh, right? Oh, right? Right? Um, and, uh, and, and here was kind of my takeaway from that, that teaching, part of the takeaway. There's a lot. Matter of fact, we're going to dig into it a little bit more. The flesh shows up in our desires, our selfishness, and our what? Pride. 
and it is defeated the way Jesus taught. This is Jesus teaching. It is defeated through confession and fasting. Now, there are, there's more to that, okay? There are others as well. Those are the two that we landed on last week, right? Right? That's right. So, um, it really is when my flesh turns inward and I make my life all about me, right? It's about me. It's about my happiness, my pleasure, my success. And then our culture, the world around us says, yes. Every ad says, yes, you deserve to be happy. Come on. You deserve that thing. You deserve it. You're an American. (laughs) You deserve it. It will make you happy. And I love a phrase that Zeke used last week. And, and, uh, and it is this, that, that pleasures, my fleshy pleasure is all about want, what I want. Come on. And that's not always a sexual thing. Come on. It's what I want. I want that. I, he didn't mention this, but, but I discovered that that one of the, the things that I have to guard against, nothing wrong with it, I use it a lot in our businesses and stuff, that is, is valuable. But if I'm not careful, Facebook Marketplace becomes a place of lust. Oh, come on. Because every scroll is something I need, I want. Come on, y'all, y'all being too churchy. Come on, right? And there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but it can become a big deal. Are y'all hearing me? Right? That it becomes about what I want. Happiness or godly joy is about, listen, freedom from want. Everybody say, freedom from want. That's right. It's freedom from want. Now, I'm going to make a statement. All right? And here it is. As a mature Christian, I should be free to do anything I want. Now, let that soak in for a minute. As a mature follower of Jesus, I should be able to do anything I want. I have freedom. But listen, I have freedom to do anything I want because I am led, as a mature follower of Jesus, I am led by the Spirit of God in me. And my wants change. (laughs) And my wants, the more I look like Jesus, the more my wants are what he wants for me. So it's okay to want it. Are y'all hearing me? Because our wants line up with Jesus. With who he is. The more I am conformed into his image, all right? The more I am conformed into his image, my wants and his wants become the same. And look what Jesus said in John. He said, I can do nothing on my own. (laughs) Some of us need to post that somewhere. I can do nothing on my own. I judge, though, I make calls, As God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just. Why is his judgment just? Because it lines up with who God is. All right? Because it's just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me. Not my own will. 
So the more we line up with the nature and character of God, the more we line up with the will, what Jesus, who Jesus was. It's like this. Have you ever thought about Jesus was the most free person to ever walk the planet? The most free. He had the freedom to do anything he wanted and had the power to do anything he wanted. He was God in the flesh. Are y'all hearing me? He could do anything he wanted, anytime he wanted. He had freedom to do that. But what did that freedom look like? It wasn't fleshy. Right? It was about the will, I have the freedom <laughs> to do the will of the Father. Are y'all hearing me? And how did that play out? That played out in serving, in giving, in loving, in sacrifice. Come on. Freedom, that's what it looks like. That is so cool to me. It really, really is. This whole thing about the flesh is really about who's the boss? Who's the boss? Look at somebody and say, who's the boss? Uh, Okay, some of you didn't do it. Do it again. Say, who's the boss? Who's the boss? All right. Who is the boss? Who is in charge? You know? Because, because here's the thing. <laughs> let's take, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Um, let's take um, uh, ambition. Right? Ambition is a two-way street. It's like... Um, Sometimes, because the scripture talks about stay away from selfish ambition, right? And, and, and oftentimes paints ambition as a bad thing, all right? It, it just, it happens. Um, but can I just tell you, ambition is only bad if it's not controlled, or like the phrase that Zeke used last week, the quote, if it is unfettered, if, if it is just wild, right? Ambition is actually not bad unless it's out of control. Here's the thing. Out of control ambition will kill your health. It will stress you out. And it will destroy every relationship around you. It will. You'll be such a driven individual. Trust me, you're talking to one. (laughs) All right? That I can get so focused on getting it done and the project that I literally, there was a long season of my life that the people around me We're a commodity to accomplish what I wanted to get done. I didn't realize it, you know. But it was more of, it was selfish ambition, you know. And and, and here's the thing. Um, I, I am convinced. See, it'd be real easy for me to go in that season that I realized ambition is a problem for me. Because it really was where I was getting my identity, and that's a whole other story. But, but ambition was a problem. It would have been easy to go, okay, you know what? Now, here's the thing. My ambition was in ministry, doing big things for God. But even doing a good thing the wrong way is still wrong. Come on. It's true. I was in ministry, but I was really ambitious to do these big things. And it was destroying my marriage and destroying my relationship with my girls. Which the scripture says is my first ministry. Come on. Before the church. It's my first ministry. And I could have easily said, okay, God, just zap that ambition away. Just remove ambition from my brain. Just remove it. 
<laughs> and God would have said, no. I gave you that part of your brain. I'm not going to take that away. If I take away the part of your brain that you operate out of with ambition, you will starve to death. You'll freeze to death. Because it's in that part of, in that same part of your brain. If I took that away, I mean, it's in that part of your brain that makes you get up and fix a sandwich. It's that same part of your, of your brain that makes you go to work. Come on, y'all. So there's nothing wrong with it until it becomes selfish or uncontrolled desires. Are y'all hearing me? I mean, let's think about it. Think about it like this. Um, I remember uh, uh, years and years ago, I was pretty young, uh, I was in ministry uh, serving with a, an older pastor, and uh, he was in his 70s, and, and a young man who was a friend of mine said, hey, will you go with me? I need to go talk to the preacher. I'm like, okay. So we go in the preacher's office, and uh, he goes, this friend of mine says, I need you to pray. Because my, he was a single guy in his 20s. He said, sexual desire is out of control. My sexual desire is out of control. I mean, lust is a problem. Images are a problem. Uh, I want you to pray that God will take sexual desire away. It's a problem. I don't want it. I want you to pray. Will you pray that God will remove sexual desire from me? And this guy who, like I said, was in his 70s, he laughed. And he said, I will not pray for that. I won't do it. And then he spends the next 30 minutes explaining because this guy was like, I'm losing the battle. But he went to explain that it's not about getting rid of sexual desire. It, it's about putting sexual desire under submission of the Spirit of God in you. That's what it's about. He said, trust me. You don't want me to pray for that. Because one day you're going to want to get married. God gave you those, that part of your brain. That part of your emotions. God gave you that to be a blessing to you. Within the covenant of marriage. Man, y'all are way too quiet. <laughs> You're way too quiet. He, he went on to explain that, that, it's, that, that what you have to do is allow <laughs> that desire to fall under submission or under the truth of who God is. See, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When my desires are subject to the truth, because here's the thing, the truth that, that is God is always pure and it's always holy. Are y'all hearing me? Right? He's the one that wired my brain. He's the one that put the ability in there for that. But when that God-given gift is unchecked or uncontrolled, and when it is what is leading, it leads to death and 
destruction of our lives, of our sex life, of our marriages. See, what God meant to be a beautiful thing or an amazing part of a marriage, uncontrolled, becomes one of the most destructive things in a marriage. Have you ever thought about it like that? We become slaves to the distorted desire. Nothing wrong with the original desire. God put that in your brain. He put it in there. It was supposed to be a good thing. It was supposed to be a good thing. Matter of fact, Song of Solomon, he actually talks about that we should be intoxicated with her love. Y'all are like, you're really talking about this, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, God created that. God designed it. And hear me out. God designed it for marriage and the devil comes along and he whispers lies and perverts what God made beautiful. Are y'all hearing me? He perverts it. I don't know if you realize Satan only got credit for creating one thing. The scripture says he is the author of confusion. That's the only thing he's ever authored. Everything God created. And when God created it, he looked back and said, it's good. Then the devil comes along, whispers lies, perverts, distorts, and takes what God made as good and twists it for death and destruction. Are y'all hearing me? And he does it through lies. The same thing works in every area of our life. We could go on and on and on. Let's talk about one thing, one, one final thing in, along these lines, and that is this. Let's talk about image. How you see yourself. When you look in the mirror, what do you look for? <laughs> it's funny, and we all do this. There can be a big group picture that you know you're in, and the first thing we do, we don't look at everybody else and go, man, they look good. What do we do when we look at that picture? We look at ourselves. We are looking for us. And then when we find us, the first things we do is try to find what's wrong. Right? Oh, man, my hair. That was the dumbest smile. What were you thinking? Right? I mean, I mean it's just kind of, kind of the way it, it, it is. So how do you look at yourself in the mirror? You know, we can pray, Lord, make it where I don't care how I look. Exactly. Yeah. And here's why some of us, let's be honest, you may not have used those words, but you can say it this way. Maybe you say it this way. I realize my flesh is controlled by the way I see myself. I am controlled by what I don't like about me. I wake up thinking about it. I wake up thinking about my weight, my muscles, or the lack thereof. You know, I wake up thinking about the wrinkles I'll do anything not to get old and wrinkled. I wake up thinking about this part of my body is too big, this part is too small. I'm always looking at others and comparing. Wish I looked more like them. So God, just take that away. I know it's unhealthy. Just take that 
part of my brain and to lead it because I know I am consumed by appearance and image. Can I just tell you God's not going to delete that part of your brain? He's not. He gave you that part of your brain as a gift. Because it's in that part of your brain where you desire to protect your body. It's in that same part of your brain that, that you care for your body. That you go into survival mode when things get bad. That all happens in the same part of your, of your brain. You know? It, it, it's there that, that you run from danger or you pull your hand back from what is hot because I don't want to get hurt. It, it all happens in the same, in the same place. It, it's a good thing. When it's not controlled by the lie. Are y'all hearing me? It, it's a good thing when it's not controlled by the lie. It's so interesting to me, and here's how I wrote it. I'm not having to stick to my notes because of time. <laughs> it's so interesting to me how God gives us this part of our brain to protect, to care about what happens to us. The devil comes along, he whispers lies, we listen. And that desire to protect this body becomes destructive. And we become consumed. It goes two ways. We either become consumed with health, beauty, body image, the gym. If it tastes good, spit it out and you're never satisfied. And we become slaves to our image. Or... We become slaves to our image a completely different way. And we go, well, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter, so I'm just going to eat whatever I want, whenever I want, as much as I want. Nobody cares anyway. That's the lie of the enemy. Nobody cares. So what does it matter what I look like? What does it matter? So I'm just going to do whatever. I don't care. Matter of fact, since I don't care, I'm just not going to shower or shave or ever change my clothes. Because who cares? Here's the thing. Both extremes are slaves to the same lie. What God designed or desired in us to be a good thing, he comes along and he distorts it. So, Chana, uh, tell us a little bit about your faith journey and how the enemy kind of twisted the truth into the lie and where that took you. Well, I would love to say that I didn't have any of those problems. <laughs> I had others, but um, can't really do that and be honest. <laughs> but the, the gift that God gave me that the enemy perverted with lies and I believed um, had to do with this crucifying the flesh. Um, you know, you, I'd heard it said, you have to die to yourself so that Christ can live through you. So this dying to self, this is the gift that we can do. But it gets perverted. Because um, as a young person, I thought that it was like the journey was you, you get saved... And then the Lord takes you on this wonderful journey called sanctification. <laughs> and you become just like Jesus. You look just like him. You act just like him. And life's wonderful, right? Not so much. Um, so my job was to memorize scripture, interpret it, and then prove to the world and God and everybody that I was a child of God because I could do what I had figured out the Bible said. Simple. You read, you interpret, you go and do. But um, what happens when you can't figure out what it means? Or what happens when you can't figure out how to do the thing that it means? So how could I let Christ live through me if I could never forget or never learn how to die to myself 
And I think along in there came the lie that um, when Christ is living through me because I've succeeded, I've died to myself, you know, that one time that you have to do it, <laughs> um, that suddenly I had this get out of pain free card. Not just get out of hell free card, but you get out of pain, you're exempt. You're living as Christ. So yeah. Christ didn't have pain, hmm. right? <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, so obviously, huge lie. But, you know, when you're young and stupid, um, these lies come in, or maybe not, to, I'll try not to be too hard on myself and say stupid, but <laughs> definitely ignorant. Um, these lies come in and you just don't have any wherewithal to fight against them. So they, they, they get entrenched. And the longer they're there, the, the deeper and the uglier and the more entrenched they become. Yeah. And so what I found out was that I couldn't do any of what I'd read. I could do behavior modification, yeah. but it didn't last very long because there was no heart transformation. And that was so frustrating. So I would ask people, okay, how do you do this? And they would say, well, um, you know, let go and let God. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> um, well, just surrender your, your life to God and, and just let him do it. He'll do it if you'll surrender. Okay, how? How do I do that? What if, I'm, what if I am too stupid? Mm. What if I'm too stubborn? Yeah. I am a Strickland slash Pettigrew, if you've <laughs> ever met any, any of them. Um, <laughs> what if I'm just too prideful to let God be God? So what then? So then I'm just stuck in living out this life um, not able to let Christ live through me. Not able to learn from the Holy Spirit. Y'all, the, the frustration, the pain, the anger that I was just developing, it just became so loud. And the longer I lived that way, um, I, I, I battled with depression for about 18 years. And not just the kind of feeling sad sometimes, like the, the kind where you can't even get out of bed because you're exhausted, because your mind has been warring so much that it really it just depletes everything in you and you have no strength left in your body. And so um, I'd be put on medication and it would work for a little bit, but then the enemy would whisper, well, you know, if you were a better Christian, you wouldn't need those happy pills. The joy of the Lord is supposed to be your strength. What's wrong with you? Figure it out. Keep reading. <laughs> Keep trying to figure it out. And so I did. Um, but then I ended up self-medicating with food and uh, binge-watching TV. Or Surely I'm not the only one who's created an imaginary world where I'm God and everything is as it should be. <laughs> I, I'm the only one? Okay. I won't make you like raise your hands, but... Surely y'all understand what I mean. Because in the real world, in this natural world, I would look around and what I saw and what I felt in my body did not match some of the things that I would read about in the Word or what I would hear a really great preacher teaching me. And so when it didn't fit and I couldn't make it match, my default was to go with what I knew. I couldn't believe the Word of God for my life because... Well, maybe it just wasn't for me. Maybe this was just all I got. Yeah. Was this feeling and this, this just darkness. Um, no matter what I prayed, no matter how much I read, it just it never went away. This, even on really good days, y'all, I got married, I had children, I, had, I come from an awesome family. I love church. But there was always just this constant undercurrent of just sadness and loss, of emptiness, of darkness. And I would try to stuff it down as much as I could and keep moving on. Because that's what you do. You just yeah. keep moving on. You keep one foot in front of the other. Keep believing in the Lord and keep trusting and keep praying. 
it's just, but it, oh, years after year, 18 years. And I finally got to a place where I was just existing. I was surviving each day, dreading the next, waiting for God to finally answer my prayer. And this let go and let God, you know, I would read the word, but in utter disbelief because happy is the man who, well, not me. Blessed is he who, not me. No one hates his own flesh. Yeah, they do. Um, and then the real kicker, like the one that just punched me right in the gut, was when I read, out of context, obviously, that the Lord has compassion on those who he will have compassion. And I'm like, well, what about me? I'm right here. Don't you see me? Don't you see how much pain I'm in? Don't you see that I want to follow you? I want to know you. I want to serve you. Have compassion on me. See me. Heal me, please. And still... (laughs) Kept putting one foot in front of the other. And then the lie changed. The lie now was, well, your family's better off if you're not there. Your husband, your children, their lives would be so much better if you weren't there. They deserve someone who, had, who wanted to live and, and could be helpful and, and love them. So the only real gift I could ever give them, the only loving thing I could do was in my life. And so I, I did what any good person would do. I made a plan. And on... April the 1st, 2007, I decided to execute the plan. And can I just, I got to be real with y'all. In that moment that I knew that was the day that I was going to die, the most incredible, peaceful, lightness of heart I had ever experienced just washed over me. And so I knew that dying was the right answer. Finally, finally, I felt amazing peace. But what had really happened was I finally got to the end of myself. And there God was. And he showed me that he'd been holding me the whole time. He'd been whispering my name the whole time. He'd been drawing me to his word the whole time. And so obviously my plan did not work. (laughs) Um, And thank God, (laughs) at least, right? Amen. Praise the Lord. It didn't work. (laughs) Thanks. Um, But then there was this um, journey of of therapy and uh, I had to go to a hospital for a few days. And... um, funny story that I can't get into is, you know how you can get the, you be scared to death? Well, while I was in this special hospital, I got scared to life because somebody really scary, I thought they were going to kill me. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, I don't want to die. Well, praise the Lord. I don't want to die. So I can leave now. Please check, please. And it's not that easy. Okay. Once you go in, you I can't really get out until until you pass some tests. Um, Anyway, um, and so and I. But what's really cool this past week, and I I know I got to go quick. This past week, after uh, Zeke shared about the law of returns, can I show you real quick on a on a on a graph thing? Oh. Oh, did I did I miss one? You may have to put that up, uh, Bo. There you go. Okay. So y'all see the, the blue line on top, and there's a red line going down, and then there's this center line. So what God showed me this past week was all the while that I was believing these lies that were taking me to a place of death, 
I was investing truth into my heart. All the while that I was reading verses I didn't understand, praying prayers that I didn't think were being answered, they were investments. And over the long term, they came to fruition in my life. Because at this point, when I finally learned how to surrender to God, and this lie was defeated in my life that I was supposed to die, I exponentially grew in my faith. Yeah. But what he showed me was that this middle line right here, it was like I thought that was the straight and narrow. <laughs> and I, my job was to like try to reconcile these two and try to keep them as close to the middle as possible, right? So that you can't get too far down, but then you never really get too far up either because you know, you're just a big old target when you go up there. So <laughs> let's just stay in the middle where it's nice and calm, right? <laughs> But that was a lie. Yeah. God doesn't like lukewarm Christians. So yeah. the whole time he was speaking to me and drawing me to a, a deeper relationship with him so that I could break free from those lies That's and right. soar with That's him right. and live with him and let him live through me. Yeah. But Victor, <laughs> I like the way you learned how to <laughs> surrender. Way better than mine. So why don't you uh, share your way? <laughs> well, mine, mine was as real, but not nearly as like um, in your face, maybe mm -hmm. as. Um, I just love that God was with you. And I don't want y'all to miss this. God was working with her alongside of while she was while she was listening to the lie that was creating death, she was feeding her spirit that she wasn't hearing. <laughs> but when she came, that peace that she experienced that day was really not the death of her life, yeah. but the, the death of her flesh that was listening to the lie. And, and when the flesh when she recognized she didn't know it then but when she recognized that the flesh is not speaking here but God is speaking peace came and exponentially she went from the pit to soaring in moments with with him for me it was a little different because for me I, I was I was preaching I'd done evangelism I bet I have said thousands of times in my life, give your life to Jesus. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah. Give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. All you need to do is surrender your life to Jesus. And I was on a, I was actually touring with a Christian band, speaking every night, begging people to give their lives to Jesus. And I was riding down the road in a tour bus, on a seat, and it hit me. What does that really mean? What does it mean to give your life to Jesus? Now, I understand salvation. I understand surrendering and asking Jesus to come in to make my spirit new. Are y'all with me? I get that. But what does it mean to surrender your life to Jesus? Does that mean we get saved and go like to a convent or something? I don't know. What does that mean? And, and really what the Lord showed me and, and what, I round, what I wound up with that day on the tour bus, I, I had to get to the place of where it was the end of me doing it. And I had to say, okay, Jesus, the truth is, I know how to ask you into my life to go to heaven. Right? Are y'all hearing me? I understand that. I don't know how to give my life to you. I'm in full-time ministry, and I can honestly say, I don't know what that looks like in the real world. And here's what he showed me. And I pray this will make sense to you. Some of you are like, man, you, you guys have lost your mind. No, hang on, all right? I had to get to the place that day where I said, Lord, I don't know how to give you my life. I don't know how to give you my whole life. 
I don't even understand what that looks like. But today, I'm going to surrender my eyes to you. I don't know what it looks like to give you my whole life. But today, I'm going to surrender my eyes. Today, I'm going to sacrifice the flesh. And I'm going to surrender my eyes. And Lord, today, let my eyes only look at things the way you desire me to look at things. I don't know how to give you my big abstract life. But today, when I look at a woman, let me look her in the eye and nowhere else. Come on. When, when I see a thing, let me appreciate it for the thing and not be selfish with my eyes. Are y'all hearing me? And, and I went through the list and was like, okay, to Lord, I, today I'm going to give you my eyes. I'm going to give you my eyes. And at the end of that day, I, I, I would do a, a check and go, okay, Lord, how did my eyes do today? Did I surrender my eyes to you today? Did I give you my life through my eyes today? And we would go through the day. Jesus and I go through the day and look at it and go, you did pretty good. Yeah, that time you looked at her eyes. That time you uh, just appreciated what they had and you didn't desire it with your eyes. You did, yeah, you did. But, but there was that one thing that girl that walked through the audience and you looked a little long I'm like you're right Lord so the next morning I woke up and said you know what I don't know how to give you my life but today I'm giving you my eyes today let my eyes honor you and everywhere they go and at the end of the day well we did pretty good but there was those few things can I just tell you you're super spiritual pastor it was over a month of every day going, God, I give you my eyes. I surrender this part of the flesh to you. It was over a month before, and I can tell you, I remember so clearly at the end of the day, he and I did our little checklist of how, how you know, did I surrender the flesh, the eyes to you today? That I was like, we had a great day, Lord. <laughs> this is awesome and it really began to walk out freedom in my in my mind and in my eyes and here's what I said then the next day I was like okay Lord I'm, I'm I, I don't I give you my life but I'm going to give you my thoughts let my thoughts honor you today not even what goes on through my eyes but let my my thoughts and then there's been times that since then that I've had to go back and go Lord I got to give you my eyes all over again Come on. I got to give you my mind. Man, I'm thinking about way too much negative right now. Come on. I'm thinking too much death and destruction and not life and fullness. Come on. And so it has been since then <laughs> a 20-year sacrificing the flesh daily. Bringing it into submission. And I'm going to tell you, there's joy. There is freedom. Oswald says it like this. Oswald Chambers. He says, our lives are a Bethlehem for the life of the Son of God. Our job is to sacrifice our flesh to feed that life. In other words, we ask Jesus to come into our lives the spirit of the living God is birthed in us. It's a Bethlehem, a birthplace for the life of the Son of God. Are y'all hearing me? All right. It's a birthplace for the life of the Son of God. What he was saying was our job is to sacrifice the flesh. And the more we sacrifice the flesh, the more that spirit of Jesus can grow in us the more it feeds our spirit 
All right? It, it is so, so true and so real. The problem, it goes on to say later in that same chapter, he goes on to say the problem is, now he wrote this in the early 1900s. He said the problem is most Christians are running around with anemic, weak baby Jesuses living in their lives. <laughs> because we let the flesh run wild. We let the desires run wild. So, say, who's the boss? Who's the boss? Who is the boss? So, Channa, we got, we got less than 10 minutes. Oh, we can do it. We can do this. Let me scoot up. All right? And then we got a baptism, y'all. Woohoo! Yeah, I'm excited about that. I am. So, Really, the way that we are, the things we're focusing on, that we sacrifice the flesh to feed the life of the Son of God in us, two things Zeke mentioned last week that we're going to talk about for just a couple minutes is, do y'all remember the very end? It is confession and fasting. Are we going to have to re-preach that whole thing? Everybody say confession and fasting. It is confession and fasting, all right? So, we're, we're going to talk about confession um, for just a minute. And in James 5, it actually says this. I love, James talks about that we ask Jesus for forgiveness. We confess our sins to Jesus and he forgives. Y'all believe that? Everybody say, we confess our sins to Jesus, and he forgives. What he did on the cross paid the price for our forgiveness. Amen? Amen. So, we ask Jesus for forgiveness. We confess for forgiveness. James 5, I think it's in verse 10, it actually says, but we confess to each other for healing. Confession healing. Zeke talked about this. That's why I love, do you realize we have nine currently running, nine AA and NA meetings over here at the gathering right now. Nine a week happening. It's an amazing thing. And that's one thing they, they get it right, is when you confess to each other. Now, some have got it right with confessing to Jesus. And they're walking in real healing and freedom and all of that. But, but when we confess to each other, healing happens. It's exposed. There's healing that happens. Some of you have repetitive sins that you've asked and asked and asked Jesus to zap it away. Zap that part of my brain away. I wonder if maybe healing will come through forgiveness and Confession. I'm telling you, it works. It really does. So, Chana, talk to us just a minute uh, okay. about it, all right? So, when I was asking the Lord what all does confession entail, he gave me a few things that um, I just want to run through real quick with you just to see if it helps at all or if it hits anywhere with where you are. Um, and the first was authenticity. Um, it's about being honest with yourself yeah. and where you are and how you're doing and then asking for truth so that you can confess that truth over yourself over and over and over until the lie is rooted out and that's you can right. live out of that truth. And that's where the word comes yes. in, that so truth. So confession yeah. of truth over your yep. life. Um, another is worship. When we sing praises to God, we are using our mouth to confess that he is good. He's that's a good right. father. and We can that's believe right. him. We can trust him. And so worship is a way to confess good. who he is and that, and that we need him. Um, another would be witnessing. When we share our faith, we're confessing our faith, confessing what we believe, confessing what God has done for us. And we're an eyewitness yeah. to the gospel yeah. because we've been saved. Yeah. And so that confession can even lead to life for another person. Yeah. So that, why would we withhold that? 
yeah. you know, to, to confess our faith. And then a really big one for me, um, transparency, is because, just like Jared said in the very beginning, the struggle is real. Yeah. And if we are honest about how we're doing and we're able to be transparent with people, especially, you know, close people that we can trust, that we uh, feel safe with, um, that we can trust to uh, share these things with, we bring up these things into the light. Yeah. And it can be painful. It can be really scary. Because as these things are bubbling up, you know, just like the silversmith, when mm -hmm. they would uh, burn silver, or, you know, heat it up so that the impurities would kind of bubble up to the top so it could be um, taken off. off right? That's off. right. Um, that's what this can do. When we're sharing our struggles with someone, it's bubbling up and we can look at it and go, oh, wait, this isn't as big as I thought it was. Or, <laughs> oh, wait, here's the truth that takes care of that and takes that lie away. That's right. And so by being transparent with one another, um, we can actually be healed of things that get triggered. You know, uh, a few months ago, we talked about that bruise yeah. that can be inside of us that gets pushed or triggered by another person. And when, we're, when we allow God to heal us of those bruises, they can't be triggered anymore because they're not there. That's right. It doesn't mean the thing didn't happen. Right. But the bruise, the, the pain associated with it isn't there. Now it's a healed part of our heart that yes. can bring life and, and light. Um, and so it's also a way of inviting accountability so that if you have a struggle and you've got someone that knows your struggle, they can check in with you. Yes. Like, how, how are you doing? How are you really doing? Yeah. And, and be honest, be transparent with them. Because yeah. um, that way you know you're not alone in the struggle. That's right. And then last week, Zeke showed us that the passions of the flesh forge chains. Mm. But y'all, obedience to the Lord breaks chains. That's right. And by the, the next one, as I think yeah. it's on your paper, practicing spiritual discipline forges armor. It and, you we need armor. <laughs> That's right. We don't want it's a real chains. Fight. We don't need chains. But this is a struggle for our soul, and we need armor. So practicing these spiritual disciplines is a way to strengthen ourselves and, and to be able to hold up and, and, and live with that armor and, and use it for what God intended. That's right. And, and Zeke said this, but I want to remind you, you don't have to confess everything to everybody. Right. Please don't. They can't handle it. Yeah, yeah, they can't handle it anyway. So, but you do need to have somebody in your life that you can be real with and confess. So healing can happen. Uh, all right. Then the other one is, we all love this one. Everybody say fasting. 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 And, and Zeke mentioned this. It's absolutely true. True biblical fasting is food fasting. Yes. <laughs> Sam was the only one that said, yeah. <laughs> yep, that's right. It is fasting from food. Again, we always, at the beginning of the year, when we do our 21-day beginning of the year fast, you know, I encourage you to fast. You can fast, you know, and, and some of you fast media. Some of you fast uh, your phones. You do without them. Those are abstaining from some things to really flush out, and it's good. There's nothing wrong with that, but biblical fasting is fasting from food, especially when we talk about our flesh. It's the one thing that will get your flesh's attention faster than anything else. Amen. Come on. I can fast from my phone all day and go, hallelujah, it was peaceful. <laughs> I can fast from one meal. And I'm like, Lord, I'm dying. <laughs> Come on. Right? Right? Yeah. I, and I know, Tana, you've, uh, you've, I've done, a, I've, I've tried to fast before, um, <laughs> but when you couple the, the thought or the belief, the lie, yeah. that uh, fasting isn't a spiritual discipline, it was this Old Testament thing yeah. that really doesn't even pertain to today. And when you, like I said, when you couple that with uh, the food addiction that I had developed from depression, um, really fasting was just a way to lose weight. Right. You know, you do without food so that you can be skinny and be pretty and all that. 
Um, so I never could connect the two. And then even when I would try to fast, I spent the whole time fasting just crying about not having food. It didn't have anything to do with getting closer to God or learning anything. I was just crying about not having food. And then the enemy would whisper, hey, guess what? Uh, there's no condemnation in Jesus if you eat something. Yeah. Yeah, you're not under the law. You you're can just not. take it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And you can eat something. Jesus loves you the same whether you fast or not. So You mean he would use scripture? Yes. Oh wow. He's so mean. <laughs> so, you know, so then why bother? Yeah. Why bother? I can't do it. It's not for me. I'll try something else. Um, so it never really worked out. But then this past week, because he challenged us and I tried really hard. I skipped a few meals, and I actually was able, when I felt those hunger pangs, go, wait a minute, I need to starve something. I can starve, I can do this. Yeah. I can allow my flesh to be submitted to my spirit. That's and right. It was so good, so thank you, Zeke, and everybody else who's ever <laughs> preached on fasting, it finally came to a head, and I, I got it. But also, I've in, in this journey of just learning about fasting, I've found some really amazing articles on health that talk about this three-day water fast, uh -huh. the amazing health benefits to if you were to fast from food for three days and only take in really good water and go to the yeah. farm store and get their <laughs> that, purified. Water, that purified water. But your body has a chance to actually detox and repair damage yeah. because it's not having to digest food. Yeah. You mean God might have known what he was talking about? You know, about. he might have because what? our body... He can actually repair it. itself. What in the world? But if no. we're shoving stuff in all the time that's not even real food. Yeah. So no. true. So true. So, yeah. Fasting is good. It is. And it's, it's critical to show your flesh. Everybody say it. Who's boss? Who's boss? Who's boss? It is my flesh screaming louder than my spirit when I fast? Absolutely. Come on. My flesh is screaming. You know? And like Zeke said, we're not asking that you fast a 40-day fast. You know? If you do that, you better know God called you to do it. All right? But I wonder if we could create a culture of sacrificing the flesh Amen. through fasting, through confession. I, I, I wonder if we could create some habits instead of feeding the flesh with all of the stuff that we begin to bring the flesh under submission. I want you to think about that. What, what, what part of our flesh screams the loudest that needs to be brought under submission of the Spirit of God in us? Now, this is not a self-mutilation or anything like that at all. This is a letting my body know every time the hunger pains are there that I go, that's right, you're feeling it because you're not the boss. The spirit of the living God in me, the resurrected Jesus in me is the boss. Come on. So we're going we're gonna to end with this thought. We're going to take just a moment. Probably only a minute or so because we don't we don't have so much time. But but I want you to think about this. This week, what if we could make a plan to fast? Maybe one day a week or a part of the day. Maybe we just fast breakfast, or maybe we fast through lunch. You get up, eat breakfast, go to work, and at lunch you just fast your lunch and spend that time maybe in the word or confessing through worship or whatever but what if we what if we could take part of a day every week that's only like four weeks between now and Thanksgiving here's what I believe if we will begin to practice 
the spiritual discipline of fasting between now and Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, you'll be more grateful than you've been in a long time. Not just for the food, but your spirit will be in charge much more than right now. Because you're showing your spirit it's not the boss. So I want you to just sit and ask the Holy Spirit right now. Ask Him, how should I fast? Not should I fast, but how should I fast? What does that look like? Because I believe all of us should, can, but what does that look like? What does that look like between now and Thanksgiving? To fast. To show my flesh it's not in charge. Just talk to him. Thank you.